Johnson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. I want to pick off, uh, pick up where we left off yesterday. So just before we said goodbye and goodnight last night around, I think it was 548, in perfect like baseball style right at a super random time, the manager of the year for both the American League and the National League were announced. So the Twins manager, Rocco Baldelli, winning manager of the year, even though I think a lot of people thought it was going to be Aaron Boone, I think Baldelli was a little bit more deserving, right? Maybe a smaller market, maybe a team that got talked about less. Ended up winning it in the American League, and then we all thought, like Aaron Boone, that Craig Council was going to be the favorite and the leader and the winner in the National League. Now, it turned out not that way. It turned out to be Mike Schilt of the Cardinals instead. Brian Snitker getting some votes, as did Dave Roberts, and as did Dave Martinez. Dave Martinez got the fewest points, the fewest votes of them all. He actually ended up winning the World Series. So let's put this into perspective a little bit, right? Let's put it into perspective. I think Martinez is happy with his World Series ring. And I think Schilt and Council and Snitker and Roberts would all trade that manager of the year honor or those votes for a World Series ring. So let's put it into perspective a little bit. But Greg Council coming in second for the second year in a row. And I thought we didn't really have a whole lot of time to talk about this yesterday. Let's continue our discussion. We're actually going to talk a lot about baseball today. A little bit about the Brewers and a little bit about the Astros as well. Have you been paying attention to what's going on with the Houston Astros right now? And the allegations and the investigation revolving around them stealing signs, especially stealing signs in in the World Series, kind of a big deal. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, We also have to talk about some NFL news as well. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being here. If you want to join in on the show, I would love to have you. 608-796-2558. You can do so on the five-star telecom talk and text line. Twitter is always wide open as well. I love to discuss things on Twitter. I love to argue things on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Keystroker Grant. You can find all of us here at the station at WKTY. I want to preface this by saying, and I, and I said this yesterday as well, I think Craig Council was more deserving of manager of the year last year in 2018. Not only because the Brewers won more games and and, and they actually won their division and, and just looked like the better team. They were the better team last year compared to this year in 2019. But I I thought there were concrete examples of managing going on, right? Where he had to find a way, okay, how do I make it work with Corey Knable and Jeremy Jeffress and Josh Hader and Corbin Burns? Whereas the traditional bullpen, you have your setup guy, your closer, and then situational guys, middle relievers, right? Craig Council had to make it work with four guys who were pitching at a closer level, an elite level. Not to mention, they also brought in Joaquin Soria, who was great for them down the stretch. Craig Council had to make that work. And he had to piece together pitching performances from Shasin and from Wade Miley and from Brandon Woodruff and, and really just find a way to get 27 outs. Concrete, legitimate examples of managing where Craig Council is saying, put him in, pull him out, sit down, stand up. You go to bat, you sit down. Managing. Physical, concrete evidence of managing. This year, what the Brewers did in September was tremendous, and I'm not denying that. They barely lost, once again, getting hot at the right time. Almost came back and stole the division at the last second. Again, this time it would have been from the Cardinals, the year previous from the Cubs. And look, Craig Council is going to get credit for that. 
because his team got going at the right time and they bought in and they started playing well and they rallied around the injury of Christian Yelich. And, Christ, and, and don't get me wrong, Craig Council gets credit for that. But this year, I don't know if there was concrete examples of moves that were being made, of, of legitimate managing, right? No, when your team's playing well and everything's going well and every move is working out, yeah, the manager's going to get credit. But I thought last year, Craig Council had a little bit better case to win manager of the year. Now, of course, he didn't. He didn't this year either. Now, I'm looking at how the voting broke down, and this was announced on MLB Network yesterday. So it's voted, you tally first place votes, second place votes, third place votes, and then you count them all up, and and first, second, and third are all worth a different amount, and then the the combined number from all three categories is is how they tallied up, right? So Mike Schilt, Craig Council, Brian Snicker, and Dave Roberts, and Dave Martinez. Those were your five candidates, and the majority of the votes going to Mike Schilt and Craig Council. Here's the interesting thing, though. And look, I'm not here to fanboy and, and be a homer for the Brewers and for Craig Council. I, I admitted a couple times now that I thought he was more deserving last year. But I thought maybe the voters would give it to him this year because they maybe thought that he should have gotten it in 2018. This is how it shook out. So I'm only going to talk about Schilt and Council because those were the two front runners. Nobody else was close. Craig Council got 13 first place votes, right? Mike Schilt got 10. Okay. So a good portion, a majority of the voters saying first place goes to Craig Council. Second place goes to Mike Schilt. Now, if you want to look at second place votes, Mike Schilt got 14, Craig Council got six. And then third place, Council got five, Schilt got three. But I want to focus on Craig Council getting 13 first place votes and Mike Schilt getting 14 second place votes. Now, I know when you add it all up and you do the math and you you know crunch the numbers, Mike Schilt's total is a little bit higher than Craig Council's. But but here's the thing. If you want to go by the spirit of voting, and I know that isn't how this works. It goes by math, right? And we've, we've talked about that. Couldn't you argue that most writers said, okay, Craig Council is first. Mike Schilt should be second. And that's how it shakes out. And it kind of should have ended right there, right? Majority of people thought Craig Council was one. Majority of people thought Mike Schilt was two. But then when you get muddy and you get in the weeds with the math and the adding and the subtracting, well, then somehow mathematically Mike Schilt comes out in first place, even though he got less first place votes than Craig Council. It's, it's like, look, it's like Craig Council is getting penalized for not having as many second place votes. And I understand, I understand how the math works and I understand that, that this is the way things are done, but it kind of seems to go against the spirit of, of manager of the year in first place votes versus second place votes, Right. I'm not being overly, I'm not being too big of a homer here, right? I have a good argument, right? I'm not, I'm not fanboying for Craig Council. 608-796-2558. Let's go to the five-star telecom talking text line. Caller, what's going on today? Welcome to the Wisco Sports Show. Hi, my name's Mike. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, welcome, Mike. Uh, I just wanted to say, uh, I do think that uh, Craig Council, it's the way he's able to manage his team, especially down the stretch when you get to, like, September, when those ball games really, you know, they they matter. Yeah. You know, they they really, you know, every time you get in there and you come to the come to the ball ball club, and you're able to just get your team prepared, he just separates himself to me from the the rest of the managers in the major leagues. He's just able to get his team prepared day in and day out. Yeah, I think it means the most in September, right? You got to take that into account. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I just feel like. Craig Council alone, he's, he's deserving of that award because, well, he's, I mean, the Brewers, with the you know small market team that they are, 
and what he's able to do with them on a nightly basis. Just, I mean, you see these other teams like the Cubs with a $220 million roster yeah. and their inability to get it done. I just feel like the Brewers this year and, and years ahead, I think they're just set with Craig Council as the manager. Yeah, Mike, I, I appreciate the phone call, and, and I agree with everything you said, and, and that's a big reason why I think Craig Council is the best coach, manager, leader of a professional sports team or college sports team in the state is because he's able to, to run with these, I don't want to say special circumstances, but in a, in a non-salary cap league, the Milwaukee Brewers have to build their team differently. They have to coach and manage a little bit differently. And Craig Council's done such a good job. And on top of that, like you said, his performance in September and his team's performance in September has, has been unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, look, I'm okay with Craig Council not winning manager of the year both of these last two years. I thought he should have won it last year in 2018. I thought he had a great argument. Look, Brian Snicker was great last year. The Braves were great last year. And I'm not going to lie, I didn't watch a whole lot of the Braves, so I don't want to speak out of turn here. But the Braves got a bigger payroll than the Brewers, right? They can build their team differently than the Brewers. They have a better starting pitching staff than the Brewers. I think Brian Snicker's job is a little bit easier because of that. I think he doesn't have to be as creative and have to think outside of the box like Craig Council does. And that's why I thought last year was the year for Council. And I thought because he didn't win it last year, he would end up with it this year. And as I look at the voting, yesterday I wasn't mad. I wasn't mad at all because I didn't look at the voting. I said, okay, well, Mike Schilt, Cardinals were great. They won the division. They made it to the NLCS. They got smoked once they got there. But it's not like the Brewers had great playoff success, although they did fare better, uh, albeit for only seven innings against the Nationals than the, than the Cardinals did. I wasn't upset yesterday. I said, okay, bad luck two years in a row for Craig Council. But now that I look at how the voting breaks down, I'm like, look, I, I get how these things are done and how the math shakes out and first, second, and third place votes all, all have a different numerical value, but 13 of the voters all agreed that Craig Council should be number one and only 10 for Mike Schilt. Mike Schilt had 14 second place votes to Craig Council's six, meaning over twice the amount of voters said Mike Schilt is the second best manager compared to Craig Council. Are we going to penalize Craig Council for not getting second place votes? I don't know. It, it makes me question the system a little bit because, because I think because I think Craig Council is being penalized because not enough people believed he was the second best manager in baseball. And I understand that that's how these things are done, and, and I'm not trying to be a homer here, but it kind of seems to go against the spirit of the award. Kind of seems to go against the spirit of the award. I don't want to be that guy. Well, the spirit of the rule, like I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to pull that card either. I just, I look at that and I go, come on. Kind of seems like Craig Council got the short end of a stick two years in a row. I want to keep talking about Brewers. We got to take a break. Uh, the Brewers had some massive, huge breaking news. A huge rumor connected to the Brewers came out yesterday. John Heyman reported it, and it blew my mind. It blew my mind. I'll explain what I'm talking about coming up next. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show, presented by Played Against Sports here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I am your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Hope you're having a good night. We're talking baseball, which is the last thing I would expect to be doing this time of year. But the Packers on bye week. I just haven't bought into Badger basketball yet, I'm going to be honest. And the Bucks got a couple of nights off. They don't play again until tomorrow night, so we'll talk about that when the time comes. We're talking about the Brewers, and, and to just kind of put a cap on this Craig Council thing, the way I can, I think, best sum it up, and I sent a tweet out over the break, at Keystroker Grant, you can find me there, 
it kind of seems like Craig Council's being penalized because not enough voters thought he was the second best manager in baseball. And when you think of it that way, it seems a little bit dumb and it seems a little bit unfair. And to me, look, I'm not saying Craig Council should have won manager year both of the last two years, but it seems like, man, he got the, the short end of a stick by not winning either. I don't know. I don't know. Just my two cents. Try not to be a homer, but I think when you look at it that way, it, it seems a little bit illogical, right? You didn't have enough second place votes. Not enough people thought you were the second best, so therefore you can't win. I don't know. We'll we'll continue to talk about that, I'm sure. Uh, I, look, the Brewers, I, I saw the, the wildest, most insane rumor. I still can't believe it's true, um, and I want to share that with you in a moment. It is not that the Brewers are connected to stealing signs and have been mentioned in that. We're going to talk about that and the Astros, the, this whole fascinating MLB story coming up in about 10 or 15 minutes. We're going to get there, but that's not what I'm talking about. If you want to join me, if you want to talk Brewers, Mike already did. You can join me on the five-star telecom talk and text line 608-796-2558. The wildest rumor, the wildest announcement I have seen probably in years connected to the Brewers. Now, John Heyman tweeted this out, and I'm still in utter disbelief. He's an insider for MLB Network or for WFAN in New York, for The Score in in um, in Chicago. He's all over the place, right? And he tweeted this out. My jaw hit the floor. Brewers want to re-sign Yasmani Grandal and Mike Moustakis, and we'll look again at the starting pitching market. Wow. Yes, I'm being sarcastic. I, did, you, did you even need to talk to anyone inside the Brewers office to know that? That's what every, that's what every team is going to do. Every team at the conclusion of every season says, okay, of course we want to sign everyone back. We want to get them all back. And you know what? We, we, want, to, we want to upgrade our starting pitching because that's what makes fans happy. That's what satisfies people. Starting pitching, starting pitching, starting pitching, starting pitching. Every year, every year, every year. Of course the Brewers are going to look at it. Who did you talk to to get that info, John? I, and now I get it. I'm, I'm not saying that John is bad at his job or that this tweet was outrageous, but I'm like, duh, of course, right? Of course. So going on that premise that the Brewers do want to re-sign Yasmani Grandal and Mike Moustakis and want to upgrade the starting pitching and, and look at that market as well, how should the Brewers approach the offseason? Give me a call. Give me a text. 608-796-2558. Let's say you can only have two of the three. Moose, Grandal, and a pitcher. Or you want two pitchers and you want to let both position players go. I, I don't know. How would you approach it? How should the Brewers approach it? I'm of the belief, and if you listen to this show with any sort of regularity, you know this, I'm of the belief that the Brewers should spend as much money as they can. Why? Because it's not my money. It's not your money. It's the Brewers' money, and I want to see the Brewers win. And the way to win is by having better players who perform better than the other teams. I don't find it very complicated. But, of course, you need to set yourself up for sustained success, Right, You want to make sure you have enough money to, to pay to guys like Keston here and, and Christian Yelich down the line? Sure, I get it. I am never going to be against the Brewers spending more money or adding good players. I think that's very backwards. I think it's counterintuitive, but you might feel differently. 608-796-2558. Let's go to the five-star telecom talk and text line. Caller, what's going on? Welcome to the Wisco Sports Show. Hey, man, that's Darren. How are you doing tonight? Good. How are you doing, Darren? Good, good. Uh, I want to follow up on the point on Grandal. Uh, we spoke about that before. Yes. You got to sign him. He, he can get you. He can get you walks on base percentage. He's got that bat, the defense. He could probably play some first base. Who knows what's going to go on with Thames? I yeah. think that's an open-ended question there. Um, just to uh, capitalize about Council too. 
I'm just not behind that because of his uh, decisions on on the uh, on the pitching, some of the pitching uh, moves he's made. Uh, so I can't get really get behind it. It doesn't really mean much to me. But uh, hey, I like the discussion about the Brewers right now. So. Uh, Keep it going. Yeah, thanks, Darren, and, and I appreciate the phone call, 608-796-2558. I, I agree with what you said about Yasmani Grandal. I, I would push back on your comments about Craig Council. Once again, not to be a homer. Look, I'm trying to look at this objectively. Craig Council's pitching decisions are a little bit personnel-based, right? Like, like, you don't have to love that Craig Council devalues starting pitching and wants to see fewer innings out of his starting pitching. You can you can disagree with that, but you also have to recognize that the Brewers' front office devalues starting pitching, right? Like, if David Stearns and the Brewers want Craig Council to utilize starting pitching more and use more innings for his starting pitchers, then they need to give him better starting pitchers. So I think that's a two-way street, and I appreciate that you brought that up. I, I, I don't disagree with you, but it's a two-way street. Talking about Yasmani Grandal... And comparing him to Mike Moustakis, really, because that's that's what this discussion is about. If you can only have one, and the Brewers, as it's being reported, are trying to keep both, which isn't a surprise. Compare the two and what they give you, right? I, I don't know who's going to cost more. I would I would wager that Yasmani Grandal is going to command more money, just because I would I would argue that he's in his prime. I'm not saying Moose is past his prime, but I, I, we might have seen the best of Mike Moustakis. Or we might be, be currently seeing the best of Mike Moustakas. I don't think he's going to get better. Yasmani Grandal this year on a one-year prove-it deal was tremendous. He was great. And, and he showed success and led to offensive success for the Brewers in, in many different ways, like that last caller said, right? The home run numbers were there. They were especially high early on in the year. And then they lowered down a little bit as the year went on. But when he wasn't hitting home runs, and when he wasn't hitting the doubles or, or getting the base hits and the good contact, man, he would scratch and claw to get on base. And most of my life, and look, I don't know how old all of our listeners are, but I would guess for most of your life as well, the Brewers really aren't an on-base percentage machine, right? When the Brewers have been at their best, and, and you can talk about 2011, especially that uh, vintage of the Brewers, 2011, and, and back to 2008 as well, when they have been good, it's been because of the home run ball, right? And look, most good teams hit a lot of home runs, but this last year's Minnesota Twins team is a good example, right? Right? That's the prototype that the Brewers have followed offensively for their best teams. Hit as many home runs as you can swing for the fence, right? And that's not a bad thing. But you cannot strictly win a World Series off home runs. Or at least I I haven't seen it yet, right? You need to do a couple other things. You need to get on base. You need to make pitchers work. You need to draw your walks. You need to get base hits with runners in scoring position. Which, oh my God, if I ever see the Brewers do that in my lifetime, I might tip over and die. I'm so happy. Yasmani Grandal is a big part of that, right? Contributing to on-base percentage, even if it's not through a hit, right? Just scratching and clawing to get on any possible way. And that's twofold, right? Watching pitches and, and trying to draw walks doesn't only lead to more men on base through walks, but it also forces pitcher to stress a little bit more, rear back for a little extra, right? Throw more pitches. That's more chances for hitters to get a look at that pitcher, more chances for that pitcher to fatigue. Look, if you can get the starting pitcher to work harder, that's always a good thing. And Yasmani Grandal definitely did that that last year. And on a one-year prove-it deal, Grandal really balled out. He's going to make himself a lot of money. And I have no problem if the Brewers are to give him that money and give him that big contract. He was great this year. And and I, I really have not like came to terms with the fact that he might not be on the Brewers next year. It didn't really feel like he was a one-year rental this year. He felt like a part of things. He, he worked very well at Miller Park. And he did so many of those things right, right? 
Mike Moustakis, I'm I'm not 100% sure on. I would love to have them both back. I don't know if Mike Moustakis gives you enough check marks like Yasmani Grandal does. Like, Grandal checks all of these boxes. Moose, not as many, which is partly why I don't think he's going to cost as much. But the Brewers may have to make decisions. I think they, they would probably rather have Grandal just because he does more, right? I like looking at the Washington Nationals, right? I like looking at the Nationals, the last team who won the World Series, because I, I, I like to follow examples. I look to look at past precedent. I like to look at history to, to try to predict the future, right? And, and I would hope that all baseball general managers are doing the same thing. All right, what made the 2019 uh, Nationals click? Or what made the 2016 Cubs click? Or the 2017 Astros click? Besides, besides ceiling signs, right? And we'll get to that coming up in a few minutes, by the way. What made last year's champion click? And maybe we can take a little bit of that and add it into our team to be more successful in the future. Well, I think the Nationals showed us this last year, and we talked about this about a month ago when the World Series uh, ended. I think the Nationals showed us that you don't need a super team. The Astros were a super team. The Dodgers were a super team. You could argue in some sense, and Cubs fans are going to hate me saying this, you could argue that the Cubs are a super team in, in some sense. They didn't play like it. But they certainly had the payroll. They certainly had the collection of talent, right? Cubs, Astros, Dodgers. They didn't win the World Series this year. It was the Nationals. The Nationals showed us, and, and this is the simplest way to break it down. I thought about this all day. I'm like, how can we boil this down to the very simplest argument? The Nationals this last year showed us that to win a World Series, you need three stud pitchers. Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin. And you need three stud bats. And they had three different types of bats. They had their MVP, Anthony Rendon. They had their young, stud, energetic, electric, that's Juan Soto, and then they had their veteran in Ryan Zimmerman. For me, at its very base, boiled down to the very most basic idea of that team, that's what it consisted of. Three stud starting pitchers and three different bats. Your MVP, your young gun, and your old veteran. Now, I think the Brewers have some pieces that could fall into those categories. But did anybody talk about the Nationals' bullpen? Eh, not really. Maybe as a concern, right? That was definitely the weakest part of their team. Did it really rear its ugly head that much? Eh, not really. And when it did, people are going to forget about it because they ultimately won the World Series on the back of Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg, who was incredible, and Patrick Corbin, right? Three stud pitchers, three stud bats. How did the Brewers get there? That's definitely a conversation we're going to have to continue to have. I do want to talk about the Astros first. Quickly to the five-star telecom talking text line, 608-796-2558. Christine says, spend the money now. Christian Yelich is in his prime competitive window, and players like that only come along a few times in each generation. We need to take advantage of it, especially as a small market team. Thanks for the Brewers Talk grant. I appreciate that, Christine. Thank you for chiming in. Brewers Talk in November. That's what I need to talk to get the phones working, huh? A little bit surprising. Uh, thank you, Christine. And I agree. Look, two years ago, when the Brewers won over 100 games, they made it to the NLCS. At the trade deadline, I don't think any of us were thinking, spend, 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 spend. Right now, make the trade. Trade the prospect. What do you ever got to do? Because this is your chance. But now, two years later, I guess a little bit over a year later, we look back and say, eh, maybe that maybe that was the, the, the right time. Maybe that was the best chance. I don't want to be looking back at this five-year period, 10 years from now, and saying, should have done more. Should have spent more money. Should have made more trades. That was your chance. That was your window. I don't want to look back with regret, so I definitely agree with what you say, Christine. And, and once again, thanks for the text. When we come back, I want to keep the baseball talk rolling. This is fun. Uh, this Houston Astros story is fascinating on so many levels. So 
I'll explain when I get back, but the basis of it, the Astros or, or some of their players now are admitting that, yeah, we cheated in the 2017 World Series. Uh, that's the premise. Let's talk about it when we come back. This is the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY, 96.7 FM, 580 AM. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. We're talking baseball today, and I'm having a lot of fun. It's actually a pretty quiet time of the year for baseball, right? We're not to the the winter meetings or the part of the season where they would call the hot stove league, right? Or we're not getting close to spring training, but I'm having a ton of fun. We've been talking a lot of brewers. We got to move on. I want to talk about the Astros, and, and most of you probably know why. But in case you haven't heard, and in case you haven't been paying attention, let me kind of lay some brief groundwork really, really quick before we dig into it, before we start spewing opinions and thoughts and arguments everywhere. So this has been written on in a couple different places, but it started with The Athletic. So Mike Fires, former brewer, who, of course, when he left, started throwing no hitters, right, and also pitched for the Astros, came out uh, and told people with The Athletic that, yeah, in 2017, the year we won the World Series, yeah, we were we were stealing signs. But not just stealing signs, but they used a camera to do it, right? And that's a big, that's a big part of this. We're going to loop back to that. So just to summarize for you, this is actually what Mike Fires said. He said, I just want the game to be cleaned up a little bit because there are guys who are losing their jobs because they're going in there not knowing. Young guys getting hit around in the first couple of innings starting a game and then they get sent down. It's BS on that end. It's ruining jobs for younger guys. The guys who know more are prepared, but most people don't. That's why I told my team. We had a lot of guys with Detroit in 2018 trying to make a name and establish themselves. I just wanted to help them out and say, hey, this stuff really does go on. Just be prepared. Mike Fires pitched for the Athletics, pitched for the Tigers, pitched for the Astros and the Brewers. He's kind of been around the last couple of years. And he told the Athletic that the Astros had used a video feed that was sent to a monitor in or near the dugout somewhere. I guess they don't have those exact details. And then they would decode signs and relay them to hitters during games. Now, to best illustrate exactly what was going on, I would suggest looking up the video. I I would play the video over the air, but then, of course, you can't see. And there's also the best video out there has a couple of swear words in it. It's by John Boy, who I had never heard of before this, but does some video breakdowns for sports, and they're actually quite entertaining. Basically what it is, and it's the center field camera watching the television broadcast, right? And this is a regular season game in Houston against the White Sox. And when you zoom in and when you listen to the audio closely, you can hear and see all the details you need. So when the White Sox pitcher is coming to the plate, you see the signs getting dropped down, right? When the sign for a changeup would go down, you'd hear this bang coming from the dugout. Bang, bang. And it's deep and it's muffled, but you can hear it through the TV broadcast. And it's maybe not something that would stand out if you weren't paying attention. And then as you continue to watch this at bat, fastball comes in, no banging. Right? Maybe another fastball gets dropped down, no banging. As soon as that changeup sign gets dropped down, as soon as that catcher puts up those fingers or does that motion, it's not more than a second and a half later you hear the bang, bang. Now, I'm not a baseball expert and I've never played competitive baseball. I I don't know if it is common for a center fielder or for a second baseman to be watching those signs and, and, and trying to relay things to the home plate hitter. But when there's audio coming from the dugout, when someone's banging a bat to signify a changeup is on the way, there, there needs to be technology in use, right? You cannot do that 
that quickly and that efficiently without using a camera in center field, relaying those signs in. And that's what Mike Fires is talking about, right? There was technology used. There was a camera that piped a feed into the dugout to show the signs to someone in there. And then when an off-speed sign got dropped down, bang, bang, you hear that bang coming from the dugout. Pretty crazy stuff. And if you watch the Twitter video, you kind of go, damn, wow. When it when it's all put out there, you have the audio, you have the video, and you see it happening, and I go, holy cow. That's the World Series champs from 2017. There's the World Series champs on video, clearly caught cheating, clearly. I saw an incredible Twitter thread today, and I want to share this with you. Summarizing the Astros hitters in the World Series in 2017, not just the World Series, but the entire postseason, okay? Now, a Twitter thread, if you're not on Twitter, first of all, you can find me at Keystroker Grant. It's just a chain of tweets illustrating something, right? Because you only get so many characters in one tweet. And basically, this Twitter thread is comparing the batting splits, the numbers of the Astros' best hitters at home versus on the road. Now, I'm assuming, and I think everybody else is assuming as well, that this is only possible at Minute Maid Park, right? They, they only have a camera set up somewhere at home. They can only relay these things to the dugout at home. Right, it would be a little bit more difficult to do on the road. I'm just going to name a couple of these for you. Altuve at home, hitting 472. Away, hitting 143. Now, they have slugging percentage, OPS, hits, home runs, all that stuff. I'm just going to give you averages. They're all pretty distinctly different. You want to look at Carlos Correa, hitting 371 at home versus 211 on the road. Alex Bregman, 273 at home, 154 on the road. McCann, this is one of the bigger ones. Hitting 300 at home and 037 on the road. Josh Gaddis, who in this video breakdown that John Boy put out is actually the hitter at the plate, hitting 300 at home and 200 on the road. Now, look, home field advantage may or not be a real thing, right? I don't know how that plays into hitters with crowd behind you or, or hitting in a familiar environment. That's pretty illustrative, right? Like, that's pretty indicative. There is a large difference at home versus on the road. Now, I would need to expand and do some more research to, to to look at other teams, to look at other years, to see if that's common, right? To see if there actually is a big difference from home and away. These players typically play better at home. Right? In the NBA or in the NFL, it, it, the advantages versus the disadvantages sport by sport might differ a little bit, but you, you operate under the assumption that players and teams play better at home, right? But those numbers, whoo, those are, those are, They kind of put it out in the open, don't they? Now, it's one thing for a pitcher to tip his pitches and for batters to take advantage of that, right? This was the story with you, Darvish, a couple of years ago, and I've heard this written and talked about in the last 24, 48 hours. Well, it's one thing, you know, watching for a pitcher's little little twitch or something to to show that he's going to make a change-up versus a fastball, an off-speed versus a fastball, right? That's one thing. People seem to be okay with that. Now, I think that it isn't totally uncommon to steal signs, right? Maybe an infielder or a center fielder watching the sign and trying to relay information to the dugout or, or to home plate with maybe a, a twitch of the arm or, or touching the hat. You know, signs fly all, all over the diamond, right? So it's not hard to understand how that would work. Are, are people okay with that? I don't know. This seems to be so jaw-dropping and so upsetting to people because they're actually using technology. They have someone in the outfield with a camera shooting a live video feed of the catcher's crotch into the dugout so they can watch those signs in real time and relay it through banging a bat on a water cooler to hitters, right? 
the camera, the technology, that's where that's where people seem to get set off. So are, are, are watching for a pitcher to, to tip his pitches, is that cheating, right? Is trying to get signs through the infield, is that cheating? Or is it only cheating when you use technology, when you send someone out into the outfield? Because I, because I think we can all understand this is cheating, right? I don't think anybody disagrees this is cheating. So let's start there and work backwards. When does it not become cheating? When you're not using technology and you're just trying to steal signs via the naked eye? Is that still cheating? If so, does it become cheating when you're trying to look for a a pitcher to tip his pitches? Right? Got a little hitch in his delivery when he's throwing one pitch versus another. Is that cheating? Starts to get pretty hairy, right? Starts to be a little bit of gray area. Interestingly enough, and we had a texter on the five-star telecom talking text line, uh, text in and, and mentioned this earlier. The Brewers were lumped into this story as well. While asking around, you know, saying that that the Brewers and the Rangers were the other two involved in this, right? Were the other two teams that were notorious for stealing signs. And once again, I, I don't know much about this. I'm not at the ballpark. I've never played baseball, so I don't know what goes into stealing signs. But I will say this. I, I'm not going to blindly defend the Brewers and, and talk out of place here. I, I did read a, a, a piece from Bleacher Nation, which is a Chicago-based blog, essentially. Now, they're they're well-written and well-funded and well well-worded, but it is still a Chicago-based blog. They did a little bit of a piece on this, and, and I was looking for evidence. I was looking for testimony. I was looking for quotes. I was looking for anything, really. The evidence they used, and, and the author of this piece, Brett Taylor, who must cover the Cubs for Bleacher Nation, was writing about this. And, and he seems convinced he's known this all along, right? Jeff Jones was the original one to put this tweet out, basing off of Ken Rosenthal's tweet, and, and saying, Houston is one of the three teams that I've had multiple players identify me. Uh, as the most egregious with electronic sign stealing, the others, Milwaukee and Texas. Now, here's his evidence, which is where I, I, I say, okay, I need to see a little bit more. In conclusion, this is the end of the article. Christian Yelich at 347 at Miller Park this year and 324 last year. At Wrigley Field, he at 229 and 205 last year and this year. And he has the power numbers, which are which are very different as well. You want to look at one player? In two ballparks? Eh. Especially given that that player is left-handed. And the porch or the wall is very short at Miller Park. And Wrigley Field has just hurricane winds blowing in off the lake every game. Eh. I don't know. And Brett Jones, this author, seems convinced that the Brewers are busted. I I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to see a little bit more evidence than that. Give me the entire team and their splits versus home and away in the postseason. I'm listening, especially combined with video and audio evidence. Okay, that's a little bit more. And Major League Baseball is launching an investigation. Something we're uh, we're definitely going to have to follow because this is interesting. Um, And especially if anything more becomes of those allegations with the Brewers. By the way, Robert Murray, uh, who is a man on the inside, used to cover the Brewers for the Athletic. And I just don't know how he knows everyone. He's just a baseball insider. Uh, He said people within the Brewers organization adamantly denying this report said one team official, quote, total fabrication and complete BS. However, he didn't stop at BS. He used the real word. Something we're going to have to follow along with. Uh, I do want to talk football before we wrap up the show, though. So let's take a break. I want to talk about this Colin Kaepernick uh, story that is that is developing and a workout that is going to take place uh, coming up in the near future for everyone to come and see. I don't really have an opinion on it. I have a bunch of random thoughts. I want to try to put them together and see if we can come to some conclusion about Colin Kaepernick and the, and the quarterback who hasn't played now in a couple of years. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show and, and talk football coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. <laughs> 
final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Thanks for hanging out tonight. We have covered a lot of ground and talked a lot of baseball, too, which is fun, given that it's November 13th. Uh, if you want to check out what you missed, catch up on some of that baseball talk, you can do so. WKTYsports.com. Find the podcast right there or listen on our mobile app. Just to check out base. Look, anytime you can talk Brewers in November, uh, it means something good or something interesting is going on. So I certainly appreciate it. And I appreciate everyone chiming in on the five-star telecom talk and text line. It is football season and the Packers are on their bye. I, I want to talk about this. And it's interesting because this is a little bit out of the ordinary. So Colin Kaepernick is hosting an open workout this Saturday in Atlanta and said, hey, Members from any team can come watch. Media, come watch. I'm just going to do my thing. I'm putting myself out there, right? I don't have a strong opinion on Colin Kaepernick. I don't have a strong opinion on this situation. For once, I don't have a strong opinion. But I do have some thoughts. I'm going to spit them out, and when we're done, maybe we'll have some sort of consensus or or some sort of conclusion. Look, where I fall on Colin Kaepernick, I'm in the very middle. I mean, I'm I'm very moderate on this situation because I see it from both sides. I think NFL teams will put up with a lot. Speaking about distraction and drama, they will put up with a lot from talented players who are leading to wins, right? Antonio Brown this year might have showed like where the line actually is. Like if you're talented, even at the best of your position, you still can't get away with everything because he's still yet to be on an NFL roster, right? Was with the Patriots, was with the Raiders, was with the Steelers, really. Nobody wanted him, even though he was amazing. So maybe he serves as the example for, okay, how much is too much even for the most talented player? And I have no doubt that if Colin Kaepernick was winning games at the end of his stint in San Francisco, that the 49ers would have put up with whatever political effects and drama and and, and distractions, if that's what you want to call it, they would have put up with any of that. The problem is, and I don't know if this is Colin Kaepernick's fault or if it was the direction his team was heading, he was not great. He wasn't. In fact, in 2016... In games started by Colin Kaepernick, they were 1-10. And in 2015, in games started by Colin Kaepernick, they were 2-6. They were not winning. Colin Kaepernick wasn't winning. And like I said, the Niners weren't in a good place. They weren't a good team. But Colin Kaepernick was a part of that. They weren't winning. They're not going to put up with it if the team isn't seeing success. Do I think Colin Kaepernick was done dirty a little bit by the league? Because of all all of these political and and distraction, quote-unquote, ramifications? Yes, absolutely. But I also believe that if he would have been performing great and his team would have been winning, they probably would have put up with it. Which is why I have a a foot in both camps to some extent. Now he's hosting a a workout on Saturday for people to come watch, for people to come check out. And, and, And I have questions, I have thoughts, I just have a bunch of little different blurbs. Why is the NFL doing this, right? Like... Why is the NFL not necessarily sponsoring this event, but why are they jumping in bed with Colin Kaepernick? This whole Kaepernick story was just about dead. Like, this is ready to die. Which I'm assuming is what the NFL wants. So I'm a little bit interested as to why they have an interest in this. I'm a little bit interested in on to why that Colin Kaepernick and, and everyone ultimately decided to host this workout on a Saturday. Right, because that's when general managers and team officials are actually traveling with the team or, or staying in their hometown preparing for a game. It was a little interesting. Most people think it should have been done on a Tuesday. Now, I don't know who made that decision, if that was Kaepernick's camp or if that was the NFL or if that was a, a conjunction of both saying, okay, this is when we'll do it. I don't know. But why do it on a Tuesday or on a Saturday instead of the middle of the week? That's a little bit odd, right? And, and, and 
by the way, general managers and coaches can work Kaepernick out at any time. Every team works out countless players throughout the season. Week by week, they're doing it. So, so it's not like Kaepernick finally has a chance to showcase himself. NFL teams could call him in at any time. They haven't. That being said, I love that Colin Kaepernick is actually taking initiative and say, you know what, if you guys aren't going to call me and not allow me to work out for you, I'm just going to do it on my own, right? I'm going to invite media so it all gets put on film and I'm going to do interviews and I'm going to invite all general managers and all teams to come watch. And if you come, great. And if not, whatever. At least I tried and I respect the hell out of that. And I'm glad that Kaepernick's doing it because he's kind of creating his own opportunity. Now, it is on a Saturday, and it has a built-in excuse for people to not come, but I think there'll be plenty of people there. I I love Colin Kaepernick for that. I I also dislike it in this sense. Look, Colin Kaepernick has become somewhat of a martyr, a modern martyr at least, right? In biblical times, a martyr was someone who died for their faith. Colin Kaepernick's career died for his cause. If he reinserts himself back into the fold of football, he loses that a little bit, and I I don't know if people... I don't want to say people don't view him the same, but he's going to lose a little bit of what he has accumulated the last three years. People have saying, man, he's so passionate about his cause. This is so important to him that he was willing to give up his career and stop playing football for it. That's going to go away. That's going to go away on Saturday, at least briefly, and it will go away for a long time if he actually comes back to play football. The NFL, by and large, and I guess this is my last thought, the NFL might be saying, you want to work out, Cap? Fine, go ahead. Do it. We're going to force you to do it on a Saturday so attendance is sparse. Or or people will have a built-in excuse. They'll probably still send representatives, but general managers, head coaches probably aren't going to be there. Do it on a Saturday. And you know what? Go ahead, Cap. People have been saying for years that you could perform, that you could help a team, that you're better than players who are playing in the league. Let's see it. Go ahead. Go ahead. And the NFL thinking and hoping slightly that... Oh, well, they'll see exactly how non-effective and bad he actually is as a quarterback. Not saying the cap's going to be bad, but I can see the NFL operating under that mindset. Interesting, interesting story and, and something that I'm excited to see. It's going to be to be a media storm on Saturday, which is part of the reason why I think NFL teams want to stay away from him. So it's interesting that it's all going to come together on Saturday. I cannot wait. Tomorrow, Bucks will be back. We'll continue to talk Packers, continue to talk Brewers. Same time, same place here on the Wisco Sports Show. Talk to you then.